This is episode number 258 of the Live Life Aggressively Show. And on this episode, we're very excited to have a legend in the strength game. Strength legend John Brookfield, creator of the battling rope system and overall old school badass. In this episode, John discusses the origins of the battling rope system, how he feels about all the copycats out there that have taken the system and claim it as their own, and just what he does at age 61 continue to be the badass in the strength game that he is. All that and much more on this episode of the Live Life Aggressively Show. And that starts right now. Let's go. shows the one you see on instagram or on my my newsletter blast that's a separate show i do this is one i do with sincere he's on the line too sincere hogan he was at hey, the collision oh, course yeah, I remember. yeah. how you doing sincere hey i'm good how about you good good been a while very very good so gosh i i spent the last two hours guys fixing my hair but I, that's okay <laughs> <laughs> well you know now you can cam with that that cam model after we're done so you know you're already set up you're good to go now it's about a hundred. It's about a hundred degrees here with a hundred percent, about eighty percent humidity in North Carolina. So, uh, boy, yeah, I grew up back east. Looking good. I know how that. I know how that goes. Well, I mean, uh, we can we can put some video on later if you don't want all that money you spent on your makeup artist to go to waste. <laughs> uh, uh, we'll, we'll be okay. I'll tell you, I, I'll use it later sometime. You know. <laughs> but uh, so, uh, you, you, you guys can hear me about right. Yeah, yeah you're sound good. pretty good. You're good. We're actually okay. recording already, John, so we can, we can get started here. But one thing yeah. I wanted to ask you is, and I'm sure you have this question too, Sincere, is, okay, battling ropes has blown up. It's everywhere. You see it on UFC behind the scenes, athletes training. You see NFL Every players actress. doing it. Every trainer now thinks they're a battling ropes expert. Right. But there, I don't think, I don't think I've heard one person ever reference you or credit you as the guy who invented this system. And most of these people have probably never even taken your courses. But I, I think in some cases it's purposeful. They don't want to give you credit because they think they're going to lose some shine. In other cases, I think it's just ignorance. They're so far down the line learning that they've never bothered looking at the history of battling ropes or how it, how it, how the inception came about. So I'm curious, how do you feel about all of that? Or as monkey see monkey do. They see other coaches doing it, so they're like, hey, I need to do that too. That's trendy. So. You know. Well, and it's interesting you said that because you know I'm not a real big, real big YouTube person, but sometimes I'll look at different you know videos and stuff. And the vast majority of people doing it, they're doing it wrong. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And, and what I say by wrong, the biggest problem they do is you guys well they have too much tension on the rope. Right. So basically, the, yeah. the whole point of the system is having enough slack on the ground to create that force. Right. Uh, and so that's you know it doesn't really bother me. I guess it's kind of flattering. Years ago, it, it kind of. Uh, it was a little bit, you know, bothering, but, you know, I've just kind of, you know, it was a system God showed me, so I just kind of uh, relaxed with it, and I find it kind of flattering, but... Um, I just think it's disrespectful, because right. a yeah. lot of, a lot of these people, I know they know you, and I know that they at least got one of your videos or saw you do it somewhere, maybe they didn't take your course, and I know these people know yeah. who you are, and they never, ever reference you once at all. Not even a, hey, go well, check no, out... It's, it's good to know that when... most of the people... Uh, go ahead, go ahead. 
No, I said sp- specifically a few years ago, there was one particular person in the fitness industry who pretty much started making DVDs and everything and pretty much claiming as if it was his own. And Anthony right. Delusional. Anthony Del- Delusional. Delusional. Let's call, let's call <laughs> this motherfucker out. None of this yeah, yeah, innuendo right. bullshit, okay? Let's call this guy out. Anthony Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it before. I didn't want to give him any more shine on the show. We've talked yeah, about but it. Yeah, but I want people to know what we're talking about because people right. still support this guy. He's lost a lot of credibility. I had a girl oh, he's still around? Well, I had a girl take one of my classes in in Dover many Uh years ago, 2012, and she told me he had scammed her out of, I think, about 10 grand. He was associated with because he asked me, she asked me, what's your opinion of him? And I just gave it. You know, I wasn't sitting there going, okay, I don't know if she's associated. I don't like the guy, so I didn't care to to sugarcoat it because I've had issues with him too. And I told him what I, I told her what I think, and then she smiled because she's like, great, you know, I'm glad you said all that because, you know, let me tell you my story. I I haven't haven't heard that name in years, Mike. It's kind of interesting because I bet it's been 10 years since uh, I've heard that name. And like what Sincere was saying, I I don't know if he's even, even, is he still in the business? I don't know. I have no idea because I'm more on the, I mean, I, I started designing supplements for athletes in 2015 or actually earlier than that, 2012. And I, I pivoted in that direction, so I don't do any kettlebell workshops anymore or any workshops of any kind. So I'm in I'm in the fitness industry, but I'm in a different sector. So I don't really keep track of what all these people do, especially people I don't care for. The last thing I'm going to do is waste my time going, oh, I wonder what he's up to now. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I don't really. I, I do. You know, the, the trainings I do, I don't I don't seek people. You know, out. Sometimes they'll contact me and they, they say, hey, you know, and they'll. I get a lot of foreigners actually will come here for a couple of days and I show them my. You know, the battling ropes, but all my other systems. Um, but, but I don't seek people out. I just let them contact me if they're interested. But that, that works out pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So do you do anything I, with John Bruni still? I know you guys are friends and John's a great guy. Who was that? I'm sorry. John, John Bruni. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I spoke to John a while back and, uh, he, he actually had a, he has a podcast pressing the limits and I wrote a new book just a couple months ago and he, uh, he talked a little bit about it on there. But yeah, John's a great guy. And he's he's like you. He's a a beast of a man. <laughs> you guys have some <laughs> yeah, serious strength. Well, you, well, the name. You know, I'm, I'm 61 years old now, and the name of the game is uh, is stay healthy. And you know, God's blessed me. I've never really I've, I've never really had a what you call a real injury. Yeah. Um, wow. Right. You know, like most yeah. people, just uh, little things here and there. And three years ago, actually, at 58, I went back one more time, Mike, and I beat that old truck pulling record. I, I actually. Oh yeah. Me and my partner, he was 65. We pulled a 40,000 pound tractor trailer in 50 minutes and 54 seconds. We shattered the older with all those other records. Yeah, I remember you talking about you were prepping for that or getting ready to do that the last time you were on the show. That's, that's, yeah. that's insane, man. I think <laughs> I've done that since there about, about 15 mile different poles, one for one mile. And actually every time uh, I've done it, getting better and lighter, I've, I've actually gotten stronger with it, building and sustain. And what's funny is you have 20 year olds at CrossFit and they're pulling, you know, a, a prowler and they think that their life is like flashing before their eyes. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was funny because years ago, I, you know, I used to work and train some of the, you know, the ESPN world's strongest men, uh, yeah. from different countries. And I used to try to recruit some of those guys to do the mile pole. And yeah. every one of them said, there's no way they want to. <laughs> I mean, a mile? They, they could pull one people. For 40 or 50 yards, but they, they, they knew better than get out there for an hour and a half and try to pull that truck. Yeah, right. a mile is, that's going to separate a lot of people. A lot of people don't even want to walk a mile, let exactly. alone pull a truck for a mile. <laughs> What's interesting, you're, you know, it's, it, it's, it's moving so slow, but your, your body is actually creating a lot of explosive power, even though it doesn't look like it because it's slow motion. But you, you almost have to be always 
uh, creating, sustaining explosive power to even keep that truck moving, even though it looks like it's slow motion. How do you sustain that level of explosive strength for such a long period of time? You know, one thing I've really worked at, Mike, through the years, and I, I try to teach it, but you can't do it over time, but it's like yeah. it's very, very important in any kind of sport or training to be able to relax as much as you can under the distress. Right, uh, right, yes. You see that in all kinds of sports, you know, UFC or anything. You see so many, even top athletes, they're using more adrenaline than what they need to. Right. Where I kind of learned over time, it just kind of, hey, this is going to be tough, guys, but let's just kind of relax and make the best of it. So I, I kind of set my mind like a GPS, you yeah, know, like another word. Right. If you, I think, I think you guys live in Las Vegas, if I'm not mistaken. But well, I, I do. Seriously, yeah. Houston. Yeah. So if, if you, if you set your your GPS leaving Las Vegas, and let's say you're going to Vancouver, for example, the GPS doesn't know or care the conditions. It's going to get you there. So right. I try to set my mind. This, this may be terrible. This may be easy. But I'm just going to get there and relax and make the best of it. I yeah. think that's a damn good philosophy to have right there. Pretty much any and so aspect what, so what of happens life. Yeah. You, don't, you don't use that excess energy, sincere. You, you know, you, yeah. you kind of store it. Yeah. Um, now, Gray Cook said this one time. I didn't say this. Gray Cook said this about me. He said I was the grandmaster of using enough uh, force without using more force than I needed to accomplish something. Well, I think that's a good lesson because a lot of us, I mean, especially myself, coming out of the early RKC where Pavel's whole thing was all about tension, deadlifts with tension, pressing with tension. And I think there's, I think that's a skill worth learning, especially for beginners. But you have to go past it and learn how to, you have to go in the opposite direction to continue to get stronger. I eventually yeah. went on to become a much better overhead presser and I, and I did it very relaxed, very minimal tension because if you're trying to, press double 88 pound kettlebells or at least if i'm trying to do it 10 times i can't be tense the whole time that's only going to get nah. you past to, to rep five at the most and then even when i deadlift i don't squeeze the pulp out of the bar i don't contract every muscle in my body i tighten up my midsection and that's it the rest of the body is pretty relaxed and i can move right. the bar way faster as a result of that if i really tense up now it's like hitting the accelerator and the brake at the same time and wondering why you're not moving quickly yeah, so if we're if we're going to bend over and deadlift 500 pounds, let's uh, let's use 200 for example. Let's say we're going to pick up a 200 pound item. Let, let's not lift it like there's 700 pounds there. Right, <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Which a lot of people do that the same whether it's 100 pounds or 500. They they put too much tension into it. But but it feel feels like lighter. It feels lighter the less tension you use though. Like when I deadlift 500 pounds and I use a lot of tension, it moves slow and it feels heavy. But if I if I'm relaxed and just just tense enough to protect my lower back. Then I can move then I can accelerate the bar. I can move it. Just like with sprinting, right? You got to keep your body loose and relaxed when you sprint. You don't tense up and make fists and try to run as fast as possible. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. It's interesting too, not to get off on a tangent, but it, this is uh people don't think about this. If if you look at anything, I'm saying the animal kingdom. I mean, an elephant's an animal, but an ant right. isn't. It's an insect, but let's look at anything in the animal kingdom, whether if an ant mm -hmm. is an ant or an elephant, They'll come up and uh, they'll try to move something once or twice. And if they can't move it, they they leave it alone. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, they they know enough. Hey, I'm not going to hurt myself. I'll I'll try it once or twice. And if they, this is too heavy, I'm I'm going to go elsewhere. Right. It's like well, finding another option. Yeah. Well, I think with moving weights, it's if you can't make it look good, you shouldn't bother. You shouldn't look like you're, you're about to get <laughs> yeah. discs out and your head's about to snap off and your your you, teeth are about to shatter because you're clenching so hard. I mean, well, like what John was saying about the whole 200 pounds thing and you know looking all tense. I say I think a lot of that has to do with just the show, putting yeah, on the yeah. show because people are looking like so it, it looks like you're putting in all this work. Like, dude, 
<laughs> it's 135 pounds, dude. It's, it's a 45 on each side. How much work do you really need to put well, in? Well, I that? always laugh, but like I started using a belt recently, and you know I've worked up to six plates without a belt, and now I want to go beyond that. So Mark Phillippe, the guy who taught me how to deadlift properly, he he recommended start wearing a belt, and you'll have more confidence to go heavier. And I'll go, okay, I'm going to play around with that. But he said what you don't want to do is be like one of those guys at the gym that they're deadlifting 135 and they put a belt on, a triple-decker belt at the tightest level possible. You have to build a certain level of strength, raw, no straps, no belt, nothing, and then you can start using some of these accessory tools. But people are impatient, and if if you're always using a belt, then you don't have the skill set of deadlifting without a belt, meaning if you have to apply it in some way in a real-world situation – it, it, you're gonna, you're probably gonna hesitate because you're so used to like, wait a minute, I need, a, I need a belt. You know, before I rescue this guy from the car, I need to put a belt on. <laughs> right. I've never, I'm not against the belt. Don't get me wrong. But I've never one time, maybe in high school, but you know, just I threw it on because everybody else had one. I've never used a belt in my life. Yeah. Okay. Well, now you're making me. Feel and a while bad. back, I won't mention the guy's name, but somebody <laughs> about two years ago, they said, uh, he said, John, I, I bet at your age and your weight, you you could probably world lift the the, the heaviest deadlift world record. And so they, they they won't do it again, but they talked me into deadlifting 750 pounds two years ago, and it weighed about 230. Um, with with I had no belt, so that's how I had to do it. Okay. <laughs> okay. How do you feel, Mike? What was that you were saying? <laughs> you mean it weighed 230? <laughs> you know, it, was, it was so light for you that you thought it was 230, or they didn't tell you that it was, you know, 700. They're like, oh yeah, it's 230, John. You got no, it. I, no, I'm 230 pounds. Oh, you're 230. Yeah, you're 230. Yeah. 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 You look way bigger than 230. I'm down about 230 yeah. now, but it's just like. You know, okay. and to be honest with you, you know, like putting a belt on to me, I, I feel like it makes me like more my movements more stiff and restrictive. Yeah, it does. Um, it does. That's what I've noticed. Yeah, because I'm used to lifting stones and stuff or something outside just with nothing on. It just almost feels like I I can't move with something like that on. Right. That, that's why I never liked using a belt in the past because I always got that effect where I would feel tense now because you can't not feel tense with a belt on. It's really tight. But I, I'll tell you what, that that's a negative for sure, and I, I think I can work through that with practice. But I'll tell you the positive is you have pure confidence in your lower back, meaning that a lot of times I'm deadlifting heavy. I'm concerned about my lower back. I'm thinking about it. I'm like, okay, don't screw this up. You know, Make sure you get it timed right because I don't want to mess up my lower back. That sucks. I won't be able to deadlift again for a week. But with the belt on, not that my technique is flawed now, but with the belt on, I don't worry about that at all. I push my abs into the belt, and I'm, I'm creating way more abdominal tension than I ever did without a belt. And my lower back feels great after a heavy session. So I'm, I'm going to continue yeah. down this experiment because I just started. I want to see – but but I'm, I'm definitely not going to be someone who oh, – right now I'm going to wear a belt at most sessions. But eventually I'm going to have sessions where I don't wear a belt like I used to and then some sessions where I do. I, I do think there's actual training benefits of using a belt, especially for creating that abdominal pressure because that's not an easy thing to teach. But with yeah. the belt on, they'll, they'll just brace your abs against the belt. Everybody gets that. They're like, okay, I feel the difference immediately. And when you're lifting something heavy and you're doing that brace, it, it adds a little bit of confidence to it. So I, I well, think I think there's a well, Mike, it's not like you, you understand how to lift with a belt. Though. Well, I was just about to say that. Yeah. yeah, I was just about to say, well, you've practiced so long without the belt that you've created like good like discipline as far as how you should be lifting. So putting the belt on is just basically like an accessory, you know, for you, an accessory for you. Whereas some people, they start wearing belts when they're lifting like lightweights and they, they haven't even learned the foundation and the principles, you know, about no. their technique. And so it's terrible already, but that belt gives them a little bit of a cheat factor. 
for the most part. So they can almost get away with bad technique just because they're wearing that belt. So with you, you practice good technique because you had to without a belt. That's that's just my opinion. No, you're, you're, no, you're right. I mean, and some guys wear a belt when they have sex, and that's a big <laughs> That's a different type of belt, man. Skill set first before you start wearing a belt. Yeah. <laughs> that's a different belt, bro. <laughs> you know, it, it, it sounds silly, but I think, too, a lot of people's build, like, you know, if someone's got, like, a really big stomach or something, but they're real strong, yeah. you know, it, it's kind of hard for them to wear a belt. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. kind of, Oh, it, it cuts into, into them. That's true. That's true. Because yeah. if you put a belt on, it's, it's probably really uncomfortable if you have this gut. In some ways, though, the, you can push your gut against the belt. <laughs> that's a great word. Like Mark, <laughs> Mark said that if you want to be a really good squatter, it's useful to have a gut because the gut pushes off your thighs. So you get this bounce effect, right? Like you can brace off your own thighs with your gut and then explode out of it. You know? It's a good way for other things to explode out of it as well. That's going to be some fat guys listening. Like, see, that's why see? I haven't lost my gut yet. It's going to hurt my squat. You know something I found out just recently, and I've only shared this with a few people. And uh, uh, now you guys may know this, but I doubt if you know it because almost nobody does. Is really my point, but. About, about, remember I said I, I never really had any injuries, but about five or six years ago, guys, I actually, they said I pulled the insertion of my left Achilles a little bit, uh, when I was hiking. I never really felt it, but I've got like a bone spur on the back of my heel, right? Or kind of like a calcification. Um, so I, I normally do all barefoot stuff now. I wear a special, uh, just, you know, thin sandals. I don't wear traditional shoes. So through that, God showed me how to rehab my feet. And here's what I really found that's interesting. As you guys probably know, there's more nerves in the bottom of your feet than any place else in your body. Right. Um, mm. So, so I do like a lot of work. Like, like I'll, I'll make like the like a creek stone bed. So they're like you know smaller smaller round stones or egg stones. And I actually work out swinging kettlebells or ropes or lifting while standing on those stones. But and guess what? I, I can actually I actually have more endurance and more strength on those stones than when I'm not on them. And uh, I figured out why, because, see, you're, the bottom of your feet with all those nerves are like a control panel. Yeah. Um, so when I have no restriction like a shoe or something like that, my control panel is telling my, you know, my core, my glutes and everything how to fire and, 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 and when not to fire. But it's, it's an amazing experiment I learned with, with just barefoot training. Yeah. It's just off those stones. And, you know, you, I did another thing, too, guys. I took, um, you know, like like – Quite a few special forces military guys are very strong and, you know, fit and mentally fit. And they're used to wearing shoes all the time. And we did a little experiment and we, we walked about almost a half a mile on gravel. Okay. So just, just, just a, just a half a mile walk on gravel. And these guys aren't, we're used to barefoot stuff. Guess what? Every one of those guys, the, the next day were sore, like, yeah. like in their traps in their neck. And I mean, oh, loose. Really? Wow. And, and here's why I see their, the bottom of their feet were overreacting to that gravel. You know what yeah. I mean? So they, it was kind of like an ouchum, for lack of a better word, and it was sending all these messages to all their other muscles to fire, and these guys got sore than heck walking on those stones. So yeah. it just shows how the how the bottom of your feet really activate and tell tell your body what to do. Yeah, it's always yeah. I used to tell my students all the time. I even tell them now. Now I'm teaching people in the firearms world. I'm like, everything starts strength, and everything starts from the ground up. Okay, it's not the other way, all the way around. And I think that's one of the things I picked up just training with Steve Cotter, you know, just started training kettlebells with him. And he used to drive that home, you know, pretty much driving all the power from your feet all the way up. Same thing with Ken Blackburn as well, who we both know, John. In fact, that's how I, I took your course in Novi. 
oh, you know, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, but yeah, just just something about that, you know, the, starting from the very bottom and working your way up, even just with technique. Most people want to start from the top down, but doing it the other way around because there's, there's a lot to be said with that strength coming from the ground up like that, yeah. and those proprioceptors working in your favor. Right. And, I, and see, I found out I have two different feet. And what I mean by that, but both, both, <laughs> <laughs> I so. what I mean by that it sounds kind of crazy, but both of my feet are strong and flexible, sincere. But my right, if you look at my right foot, the, the toes are a little not spread as much as my left foot. Right. They're a little bit more jammed together. Uh, mm. And my big toe kind of doesn't go like it should a little bit more. Not, not like a bunion, but a little to the yeah. right. So I use a thing called correct toes which you actually can yeah. put on your toes almost like braces, but you take them on and off. And, and over time, they'll actually spread your toes. But the more your feet are spread, like that tripod, if you will, or like roots of a tree, the, the more balance and force you can put in the ground. But it, now, are you, are you people just don't right-handed? think about it. Are you left-handed or right-handed? Uh, I'm actually both, but I'm right-handed, basically. Yeah. Okay, because, yeah, I'm ambidextrous, and I'm mostly left. But what tends to happen in those situations, for most people, if they're, like, right-handed, then they're going to end up seeing – that their body's a little different on that right side, like yeah. their hands and their feet, because they, they overcompensate on that side, because yeah. in their mind they say, that's my weak side, you know, right. but, but they'll end up having more injuries to that right side, because it's so strong that they don't pay enough attention to it, so it pretty much just has free reign to do what it wants to do, because you think like, oh, that's my strong side, I can do that, and I see that when I, I see that with shooters, you know, with their grip, you know, when they're holding the gun, they're sitting there, and they're really, I can see them really squeezing on that left side and shaking, but then always wondering, like, wait, hey, why, when I shoot the target, it keeps moving to the left. I said, well, your right is being very dominant. So this, I said, you need to be, just like you were talking about earlier, John, just like having that relaxed strength. You know, I always tell them, you should hold it, you should grip it like a baby does a finger, okay? The thing about a baby, a baby doesn't strain to hold your finger, but one thing about it, when a baby grabs your finger, they have a good hold on it, man. Yeah. And they're not even trying because it it's just. It uses just enough pinch. Exactly. And it's equal force on all points of their hand. So they're not just using one side more than the other. So I said, just treat the same way. And then at that moment, people think like, oh, my God, I get it. I said, yeah, I said, this is the same thing I used to tell people when I was in the fitness world. Well, same see, thing by grabbing that bar, you know, same thing. And see, I, I found this out. I'm 61 years old and I and, and, and I just learned this for for many, many years, guys. Um I don't have any, like I said, my hips are back and it doesn't hurt, but I just kind of felt like my, I felt a bunch of muscle imbalances, you know, yeah. even though nothing was injured or hurt. And so, for example, I, I could balance on my left foot, you know, just my left foot for about two minutes, right? Mm-hmm. But when I tried to balance on my right foot, it was just as strong. I had a hard time balancing on my right foot. And you know, you know what corrected that within about three days? I started doing uh, one-legged balances on like a slack line and a, and a wobble board, right? Mm-hmm. Um and I don't know how it did it, but basically within less than a week, my right foot could balance as good as my left. But it was mm-hmm. like a huge, you know, you know how your feet sincere work <clears throat> in response with your glutes? Yeah. It's almost like my feet and glutes were super strong, but they weren't working together as a team. But creating that instability balancing on the wobble line and that um, uh, slack line within a week actually introduced them together and my balance was perfect again. Well, most likely in that situation also is the fact you're firing up a different part of your brain to work with that opposite side like that. Because yes, sir. Before that, you weren't using that side of your brain to work with it. And then eventually your brain adapted to, you know, to like thinking on that side, like, okay, I need to fire up and help him balance over here. Otherwise, dude's going to fall down and hurt us. Okay, yeah. so the brain's like, no, nah, let's let's work on this. So you just trained that part of your brain with that. So yeah, that's, and that's probably, probably what happened. Good. Like I said, that makes sense. Yeah, but uh, it, it was it, it was amazing just how hard uh, – my glutes would fire on that on that balance board and that slack line. Yeah, because <laughs> it's pretty much out of survival at that point. It's like because you didn't want to fall. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, Fallen, Fallen's not real cool, you know what I mean? Nah, I'm good on it. <laughs> Even though it is something that, you know, people should practice doing correctly because you never know when you actually will fall. And a lot of times most people end up getting hurt because they don't know how to fall. And, you know, I know it sounds crazy to the average person. Like, what do you mean? Why would you practice falling? Well, of course, do it in a safe environment, like where there's a match or something like that. Like if you're in a gym, you know, in a gymnastics gym or something like that. So you can practice. But learning how to fall can be very life-saving, especially if you do it, especially when you're younger, when your body's more resilient. Because when you sit there and you put that blueprint in your mind, when you get older and you fall, then you have to worry about risking your life so much because, the majority of, of older citizens, when they fall, pretty much it leads to death, man. You know, there's something really serious when they fall and, you know, they break a hip or something like that. They don't recover as fast or they don't recover at all. And it's just really, yeah. like I said, working on your balance, doing what you were doing helps a lot. But also, like I said, learning how to fall, knowing how to fall, and not just when you're going down, first thing you do is stick your hands out there and try to land on your hands and you end up breaking your wrist because you're trying not to smash your face or, or break a hip or something like that. And just really learning how to do that stuff. But... They're just like, there's so many things in training that we leave out because it's so, compared to the norm, it's counterintuitive because you just want to go to the gym and lift weights, but no one's thinking about just doing all these, these mobility type drills that can really help them and give them longevity when it comes to the strength training game and just life period. Well, see, I, I, I found a loose muscle and this, people don't understand what I'm saying, sort of, but a loose muscle is a strong muscle. Kind of like what you were saying earlier, Mike, you know what I mean? Um, uh, just, just a strong muscle, but just keep it very, very relaxed until it needs to create the tension. Right. Um, so, you know, at 61 years old, a lot of things I'd like to teach people in their 20s and 30s, you know, to, you know, to make sure their feet are strong, their toes are spread, right. and their back is decompressed. Don't, don't wait until it's not to try to rehab it. Just, uh, you know, create that longevity with that. Well, that's a really good point. I'm going to have to expand. I've done some deadlifting barefoot at my home gym. Of course, at a commercial gym, I'm not doing that. But I'll often have, I'll often just lift in my socks or very flat shoes. And I've, I've found that, I mean, I like the way barefoot feels. But what's interesting is that, let's say with kettlebell snatches, I find that certain shoes definitely improve performance, such as high top. I can find, I can get more of a kick than I can... Uh-huh. Then oh, yeah. I can lift barefoot. Barefoot, me trying to do a really heavy kettlebell snatch barefoot, I don't get the same kick that I yeah. get when I wear sturdier shoes, especially yeah, shoes, Olympic shoes that shoes. are really like soft. Weightlifting. Yeah. yeah, I like, like weightlifting shoes. That's what I would like in mean, kettlebell competitions. Once I moved to the, just doing the snatch mainly you know, in on the competitions or whatever, I switched to those shoes, and it made a hell of a difference. Oh, yeah. And it made a hell of a difference just when I went back to, like, barbell squats. You know, I really could appreciate them instead of just wearing flat shoes on barbell squats. Right. I really like that elevated heel. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I mean, with overhead presses, kettlebells, I actually prefer barefoot than any shoes. I'll actually take my shoes off before I do any overhead pressing with kettlebells. I just feel more rooted. And Nick Curzon, he's, he's an MMA strength coach, not just MMA, but a lot of athletes, but he, he's well known for working with many MMA. And he's all about foot strength. That's a huge part of his training regimen. He has all kinds of exercises they do for foot strength. And it's very similar philosophy to what you're talking about, John. And he's, he's, he goes, I mean, if your feet are weak, your whole body's weak is his philosophy. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You can't, you know, you can't create that force in the ground. And, and one little thing I did, Mike, you'll get a big kick out of this. And I've never showed anybody. It's not rocket science, but uh, one way I used to work and, and I still do sometimes work my individual toes and, you know, all, all, all five of my toes. I got like a, uh, like a like a baby's or, or a toddler's rocking chair, right? Right. Uh, not not like an adult chair, obviously. It's way too big. But like 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 a, like a toddler would sit in. 
Mm-hmm. And basically, it doesn't come high off the ground, but I would put each individual toe and put like a weight on the seat there where the, where the baby would be sitting. Uh. And, and actually manipulate each toe uh, on that rock, on the back of that rocking chair. It was amazing. Yeah, that's, so that's, that's, yeah, I'm visualizing that. Yeah, no, I was like, that's what I was like, ah, I was like, okay. Nah, I was like, I see where you're going with this. So like, yeah. I, you know, watching TV or just, I'm not doing it now, but if I was sitting here talking to you guys, see, I could still, I could be working each individual foot. I might do 50 reps on my big toe, then move through every toe. Right. And, and I'm right. creating strength, but I'm also getting a lot of range of motion, keeping my toes very, very subtle. Uh, but it's an amazing way to train though. Well, if you ever need to eat with your foot, at least you'll be able to hold a fork now. <laughs> you never well, know where that might come in handy. <laughs> I think my hip's a little more supple, though, Mike. I can't quite. <laughs> I've tried to put my foot in my mouth before, but I've never been able to quite. <laughs> not, not physically, anyway. Maybe verbally, you know. Well, there's worse parts of your body you could try to put in your mouth, so that's not the worst. <laughs> no, but let's talk about grip strength, actually, because you're well known as. I mean, you probably have the strongest grip in the world. I mean, anyone who's yeah. seen your hands, your hands are the size of my head you have these huge strong hands now i think this this all this discussion with foot strength i think we can make a similar analogy with hand strength in the sense that wearing gloves has a deleterious effect on performance especially with deadlifts whenever i see someone deadlifting with gloves on it's never someone that's strong you know because the gloves <laughs> right. make a have a really negative effect and I think for similar reasons because you have those receptors in your hands that are activated when you touch metal when you touch anything and when you have the gloves on, it's like wearing shoes. Now there's a barrier between yeah. you and that. Exactly. Um, now, you know, if you're out like, you know, let's say you're out chopping wood like with a, uh, you know, with a heavy glove on something like that, as long as you can hang on to it. I mean, that'll work your hands even more as long as you can do it safely. But, yeah, um, I've always tried to do all kinds of different hands strength stuff. Uh, you know, it's interesting too because I've never, I, I have zero arthritis in my, in my hands or my fingers. Uh, right. my, my, they've always been very strong and supple, but I've always kind of trained them. Um, but here again, longevity, don't beat your hands up. Just keep, keep them supple and keep your fingers moving, you know, and, uh, keep them flexible. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And what do you, how, I mean, how did you develop this grip strength? Was this something that as a young man you realized you have a really strong grip and you just built upon that? How did this whole thing happen? Actually, just the opposite. Basically, when I was, my, my oh. father was a professional basketball player with the NBA for 12 years. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Now, we're going way back because he, he died at 90 about 15 years ago. So we're going way, way back in time. Yeah. Uh, but see, I, I had a very, very good athletic background, but my hands were kind of frail and weak, you know, Um so I, I, I'm looking at my body and I said, my hands are lagging behind. So I, right there, I, I kind of developed a goal in my mind to develop the strongest hands in the world. Um, and just kind of started, you know, dabbing with it each day, different things, and uh, did it for many, many years like that. That, that was kind of a goal. Um, how I got started, when I, I think I was 17 years old, and there was a guy actually 82 years old that, that still worked part-time in a lumber yard in Greenfield, Indiana, where I was from. And I saw him bending 60-penny nails at 82 years old. And that right there, it, it kind of gave me the bug to really start working on my hands and, and uh, strength training right there. So you started bending nails and doing stuff such as the captains of crush type moves? What, how did yeah. you, what, did, what was your grip training? Well, I, I think I, I probably was trying to bend steel, Mike, for a couple of years, nails and horseshoes before I even knew about the, you know, the captains of crush grippers came along. So right. I was doing like a lot of horseshoes and bars and nails and not a whole lot of squeezing. And then, gosh, we're going way back in time now. Uh, 
back to Randall Strauss with Iron Mind, he, he brought those grippers out, and I was the first person to actually close that number four gripper, which was which took 365 pounds of pressure. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's no joke. <laughs> There's probably three people on the planet who can close number four. Is there anyone else besides you that has closed number four? I think now there's maybe there's maybe seven or eight, but here's here's something interesting, guys. That remember the remember the great strongman Magnus uh, Samuelson from uh, Sweden. Yeah, 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 sure. And I, and I'm sure he's still around. I haven't followed it lately, but he he has a huge hand and did just tremendous strength. And he was he he was actually able to close the number four gripper. But I remember him telling me it took him years training at that specifically to be able to train to be able to close that number four. So right. the few guys that closed it, I think they they worked for years and years and years on it. And you were just you were just able to do it from everything else. I think else you after were doing. about three days, I I don't want to miss. I think after about three days, I closed it. I kind of just said to my mind, I just said, kind of like we like the GPS. Yeah. You know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna close this gripper. I'm gonna close it. And then you remember Steve Jack, you know, the stone lifter. Um, yeah, 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 sure. Um, he he's actually dead now, but he he came over to my house and and he he saw me close that number four gripper, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> You talk a lot about mental strength, and I think that's important because so much, so much, there's always so much emphasis on the physical side of things, but physical strength is so much mental more than it is physical. I mean, even from a physiological point, it's central nervous system facilitation and so forth. But beyond that is you're not going to be able to lift anything or do any physical form feat of strength until your mind is right, until your mind is ready. Exactly. And, and I used an example of that, and, I, and stop me if this doesn't make sense, but, you know, I've done like a lot of manual labor throughout my years, and sometimes I still help help a friend of mine landscape sometimes, you know, just when right. putting down turf and irrigation systems. And, you know, I'll go out, and most of the guys he works out there, they're, uh, you know, they're, they're Hispanic guys from maybe 30 or 40. But if you look at a lot of the people that do the labor like that, let's say they're going to show up at 7 o'clock in the morning. They're, they're not athletes. But but they know they got to start at seven and then they might be out there twelve hours and it's you know it's ninety five degrees so they know in the morning they set their mind hey it's gonna be I'm gonna be out there for twelve ten or twelve hours it's hard it's tough but they know they're gonna do it so they they learn how to just kind of pace themselves and relax under that uh, discomfort so yeah. if if we can take kind of that mentality kind of that. I don't want to use the word migrant, migrant farm worker. I kind of already said it, but you know, if, if we want to kind of combine that kind of mentality with athleticism, if we bring those two together, guys, we, we you have a world champion there. You see what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just realize, hey, look, the job has to be done, no, no matter how you feel I'll about it. Funny, I'll give you a funny joke since this this actually really happened about four years ago. Um, there were some friends here in town, and they they had to move out of their house very very quickly, you know, and move into another house. And they, uh, they, they had all kinds of furniture, a basement, you know, two-story house, a basement, the whole bit. And they, they had a, there was three people they knew from the local CrossFit, you know, friends of theirs from CrossFit came over to help <laughs> move. And then there was like maybe three or four or five, you know, just, just a gentleman from, you know, Mex- Mexico, you know, Mexican guys, maybe 40 or 50 years old. They, they <laughs> I already moving. know where this is going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a true story, so I'm not, I'm not throwing stones anymore. Oh, I know where it's going, and I believe it already. <laughs> yeah. It'll be much light. I already believe it. <laughs> so somebody asked me later, they said, John, you were over there helping, weren't you? I was over there kind of supervising and helping, you know, different stuff. And they said, well, who did better moving the furniture all day, the CrossFitters or the, uh, or the, uh, the farm workers? And all I said, I'm going to answer my, the question with one thing. The CrossFitters look better doing it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's all I'm going to say. But 
Yeah. But basically, yeah, they, they wore down very, very quickly where the other guys, they weren't drinking near as much water. You know what I mean? They didn't have the protein shakes, but they, they sustained all day in that heat, you know, because they, they were used it to is. doing it. They didn't have branch chain aminos every 30 minutes you know, during that whole thing. You know what's interesting, John, is that I've heard this from a lot of people. Mark Phillippe said he did a lot of manual labor growing up. There's a guy named Jimmy Pelleccia who did all kinds of crazy feats of strength. I mean, he did assisted bench presses with over a thousand pounds. And he said that he developed his I physical remember, strength. I remember him. I remember yeah, him. Yeah, you remember Jimmy Pelleccia? Somewhat of yeah. a controversial guy. I always found him to be a nice guy. But he said that the, the level of strength he built from building decks and moving refrigerators, and he said that he would take out he, – he, he did it years into his professional career. He still did it on the side, and he also did it because he said it was an effective way to stay strong. And he would take out some of his bodybuilder friends and even some powerlifting guys, and he said they would be destroyed because they're trying to use all that – they're trying to use physical strength to overpower everything. And oh, yeah. you're not going to lack. There's no efficiency. Guys who've done it professionally, they learn how they're to be wired. efficient real fast because they're yeah, like, they're look, we've got to do this in eight hours. We're going to do this for eight hours a day every day, five days a week. So we're not we're not trying to get a workout in. We're trying to be as efficient as possible so there's less wear and tear on us. I mean, yeah. That's why yeah, a lot of those wrestlers, man, a lot of those wrestlers, collegiate wrestlers come out of the Midwest because they're farm boys, man. You, right. you, and they're wired differently because they've been doing manual labor since they were probably three. So you get someone like a Brock Lesnar or whatever, and you just look like you look at this guy and like – this behemoth of meat, and <laughs> you're thinking like, oh, how is this dude like walking around with like about five percent body fat all the time, and he just just tosses people around? But sometimes it can be to their detriment because they're so strong that it's not refined strength. But the thing is, well, the, like the second group, the second group I actually did when I created the battling ropes and see that you know, the, the second group I actually officially trained and went was the mm-hmm. Olympic wrestling team on the ropes. Oh yeah, uh, I remember that. I mean, saying that. And, the, and the vast majority of those guys, they were from most of them were from the Midwest. You know, maybe right. Kansas, you know, or Nebraska, and, and, and you said that they came out of a, a farm background. Right. And so they, they looked at the ropes and they struggled with the ropes, but they saw it as kind of a, as a goal. Hey, this is pretty tough. This is going to make me a better athlete. Right. Uh, instead of some of the other guys who just, you know, they did that. They just threw the ropes down, and say, "I'm smoked. This is stupid." Yeah, they, <laughs> they actually saw that. They actually saw it was going to help them. Right. 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 Now, here's the only thing, that whole story about moving that you just told me, here's the one thing I can't believe from that whole story. How is it this person found about nine to ten people to help them move? Because <laughs> let me tell you, anytime I get ready to move, I can't find anybody. Everybody's missing in action. Everybody's phone's not working. They didn't get the text. They're out of town. Or they're on vacation. Not one of those guys who even asks any friends because I hate exactly. when people ask me to help them. I'm like, no, call a moving company, man. There's people out there trying to work right now. And you're surprised right. them. Like, exactly. we're in a pandemic, man. Go hire a moving company. <laughs> right. Like, when we moved to our new house, I didn't ask any of my friends to help out. I hired a moving company. Exactly. <laughs> it's always it's like, hey, you want to help me? I don't want those people in my house hitting my stuff. Like, <laughs> I don't want you knowing what I have. Get away. Because afterwards, they'll want to stick around, too. Like, hey, man. Exactly. <laughs> or they want to come back over again. Like, no, we're good. This is it. We're good now. <laughs> it, it was funny, though, because, you know, the, you know, I'm here again not not to make fun of people. Cause I, I, I try not to do that. But, you know, they the, 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 the labor guys probably took about a 15-minute lunch, you know, too, on top of that. You know, and, and, and drank soda instead of water. And yeah, then the other guys probably took a two-hour lunch, but still they wore down even faster when they came back. 
Well, there's gym strength and then there's real world strength. Hey, they, strength. They, don't, they don't always align. And a lot of people think, oh, we're doing functional training. I go, you're doing, it's not really functional because you, you would never do any of those things in a real world concept, uh, context. So it's not really functional. It's like, oh, we're flipping tires. That's functional. Really? When have you ever flipped a tire in your life in a real world situation? <laughs> right. So I, I think the word functional is way too overused because it gives you the illusion that the strength you have in the gym is going to carry over to everything else. And you only know when you do everything else. Well, <laughs> like I said, there's how we said there's gym strength and there's gym strength. There's G-Y-M, then there's J-I-M. Okay. So anybody knows well, a dude okay. named Jim, he has to be strong. That's, you know that's an old school dude. They don't make gyms anymore. Okay. Nobody <laughs> names their child Jim anymore. So well, the, hardest, just, the hardest competition in the world, actually, and, and most people don't know about this, but there's an area kind of where Spain and uh, uh, France come together and it's, it's the Basque countryside. It's B-A-S-Q-U-E. Uh, uh-huh. And they're, they're kind of mostly Spanish, but kind of a collage. They, they have like Basque Festival games where they do stone lifting and grass cutting. And uh, there's, there's probably about 15 different events, but it, it's like the coolest, harder, hardest event you'll ever see. You can pull that up on the, on the Internet uh, of all these right. Basque different games. But it's all just natural uh, working. Like I think one, Mike, where you have to lift about – it's not real heavy, maybe a hundred and – 20 pound anvil overhead for three, lift as many times overhead as you can in three minutes. But it's a bunch of games like that where it's just very, very natural functional strength. Yeah. 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 So again, those farm bar games, because, you know, when you were growing up in the early 1900s and 1800s, whatever on the farm, you know, you're sitting there in between breaks of working, you know, you, you're bored. So you find things to do. That's, that's where a lot of the legendary strong men, that's pretty much where they got their strength from, their background from. Oh, yeah. You know, sitting on the yeah. farm, they were bored. I mean, even like a lot of the kettlebell lifts or whatever, it just came from bored, like, farm boys. <laughs> like, oh, I got this anvil over here. Let me see what happens if I lift it over here. Let's see how many times you can press it over here. Let's see how many times you can throw it and how far you can throw it. It's like, because right, they're right. bored. <laughs> so we don't have that now for like the that. most part as a culture. <laughs> It'd be great to have that back again. Now it's like, you know, how, how many rounds can you get through in Call of Duty? That's what we're dealing with now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you too, when you're always doing circuits, rounds, and intervals, I mean, I'll say this. And, you know, we, we do know by research it burns fat and, you know, circuits, rounds, and intervals, uh, they're motivating. But the two things I think that it, it, you're really hurting yourself if you do it all the time, don't get me wrong now, is, is two things you lack. So let, let's say, for example, Pick any events. I'm going to pick three, for example, though. Okay, I'm going to say, let's say we're going to do 40 seconds of kettlebell swings. We're going to do 40 seconds of box jumps and then 40 seconds of push-ups, right? And we're, we're going to kind of circling through. Now it's going to, it's, it's obviously going to burn fat. It's going to be a hard workout. But here's what it's really lacking: your first event before that kettlebell really starts to get heavy and really starts to work in your mind and body, you get to quit and go do something else. Right. See, before, right. Before, right. The, before the box jumps really get hard. You, so every time you keep you let your mind off the hook over and right. over and over. So right. when you get the situation, even in real life, where you have to sustain over time, you you can't hardly do it because your mind doesn't. You know what I mean? It, it's already thinking, "Hey guys, I'm going to go move something else." Yeah, you right. know how far you can really push yourself. Yeah. You'll so never in real know. Life, you got to teach yourself how to sustain. And, and sincere, what that would be like is like like right now it's like 95, 97 degrees here. So if we went out to cut grass. It's like every 15 minutes we buy out the cut grass, and every 15 minutes we came in for 15 minutes to drink lemonade. You see what I mean? <laughs> right, we're, yeah. Right. We're not sustaining and teaching ourselves how, how to work through that heat and that distress. Right. Yeah. And with that circuits, you're not getting good at any one of those exercises because you're constantly shuffling between all of them. I mean, box jumps, that takes a lot of dedication to get really good at. Deadlifts yeah. does too, kettlebell swings, push-ups. Yeah. 
So if, if you're not that great at any of those three and then you're put into a workout to do those three, you're also reinforcing poor technique. And that's always right. been one of my criticisms of CrossFit is that it's – the goal with CrossFit, it seems to me, is fatigue. And the problem with fatigue is is that your technique is going to go down the drain once you're fatigued, I mean, unless, unless you're more advanced and you know yeah. how to handle fatigue. Yeah. Right? I'm talking about novices here. I'm not talking about highly skilled athletes. Highly skilled athletes can perform at a high level in a fatigued state. We all know that. But the average new person can't. You know, they, they're not going to perform <laughs> well even when they're not fatigued. Now, you throw fatigue into it, and I see this every day when I go to the gym, is sometimes the technique starts off fine, but now they're in a fatigue state, and then they, they just keep going. You're reinforcing poor technique now. Yeah. Well, one thing I've kind of seen, Mike, through the years, and you probably has as well, but, I mean, I've, I've met and known quite a few of the, like, you know, Eastern Bloc, like Russian medalist in, in Olympic lifting, you know, and just uh, world-class Olympic lifters right. uh, in this country, but more a little bit like Bulgaria, Russia. And yeah. if you look look at I, – and I can't think of one of those guys, forgive me if I'm wrong, that actually as they got older, they didn't have all kinds of terrible joint problems and stuff quite early. So, yeah. so think yeah. about this. These are the guys that have the best technique in the world. I mean, right. the perfect technique – yeah. In the world, and 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 they and they they have zero longevity because of injuries. Yeah. Can you Even imagine then. what's yeah. yeah? Can you imagine what, what's going to do to the average person has no technique? Uh, no, powerlifting hmm. is the same thing. All these yeah. people. I mean, there was a documentary on Louis Simmons recently, and oh, yeah. Louis Louis and the West Side guys have incredible technique. They know what they're doing, but they're all beat up. They're all injured. Yeah, exactly. Louis told me a while back, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me telling you because he actually gave me a, a testimony on my website, and he said uh, he actually rehabbed his shoulders with the battling ropes. Oh, really? That's awesome. It's, it's actually, yeah, he told me, it's actually on the website. He said he, he used to, he just kind of go slow for, you know, 40, 45 minutes, just kind of work the ropes, and he said that was the only thing he found that actually pretty much uh, rehabbed his shoulders. Well, that's the other thing about the ropes. Let's circle back to that. When you see someone using the ropes, it's usually some kind of sprint effort. They're going all out for 30 seconds or they're going all out for a minute. But what you taught was how to stay relaxed and sustain performance for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, and beyond. I mean, that yeah, seems so, to be an integral part of your battling rope system. Yeah, so what it teaches, Mike, is it teaches the person to sustain physically and mentally over a long period of time. And so what you do – I, and, I, and I would tell some, sometimes I won't mention names, but like years ago, I would train some world-class uh, UFC guys, you know, and they, they would come and they, you know, they go 20, 30 seconds as hard as they could with the ropes, you know, go, go quite quickly. And I'd say, hey, I but I can, I can show you how to go 20 minutes as faster, faster the entire 20 minutes as you did that 20 seconds. So there's right. kind of a formula basically where you, where you sustain and then you increase your intensity, okay? And then you sustain again and keep increasing your intensity. And over a period of time, you can, you can find someone can go your know, 20, 30 minutes at a blistering pace um, with the ropes. And what's really, really cool, that, that'll transfer into training or sport. Um, yeah. But, yeah. But, but velocity is a missing link in training, so you do have to follow that. I, I didn't find one person, guys, out of thousands, no matter who they were, that could sustain a good solid minute with the rope because it was a missing link. Yeah. But you can teach someone how to do it, and it's extremely transferable into other things. Oh yeah, uh, I think that's. I think it's not as it's not as enticing to people in terms of filming a clip for a, a small segment. Yeah. In other words, they're, they're not going to show you doing battling ropes for twenty minutes as part of a twenty minute episode on something behind the scenes. On <laughs> right. Oh so yeah. They like. They like remember, and, remember, and that, remember that one athlete in the in Creed two. He's doing battling ropes where he's basically jumping off his stomach. 
He's doing these bobies <laughs> in the. He's he's got two right. hands on the ropes and he's basically doing explosive push-ups with the ropes. I can't tell you how many people told me, "Oh man, that's so cool! I want to be able to do that." I was like, "Have you ever even used battling ropes before?" <laughs> exactly. I, was like, oh. I was like, "That's not what it, that's not what it's made for." It doesn't mean that it's that they, people can do whatever they want. I'm not saying this guy can't do that. But I'm just saying that that's not what it's made for, and that's certainly not yeah. what you would start doing. <laughs> right. right. Well, I remember years ago, and this is probably about when I first met you, Mike, or, or around that era. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't a kettlebell person. I, I fiddled with kettlebells. The first kettlebell I ever owned was 153 pounds. Remember that kettlebell I had oh, yeah. there at the, yeah. at the Dave Belomo gave me as a gift? It's still right. in the corner over here in the garage. But so, you know, I, I was doing the ropes for a couple of years really, really hard, and Pavel, I asked Pavel, I said, Remember that Secret Service SNAS test they used to have? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I said, Pablo, you think anybody could probably do 300 reps with that 53-pounder in 10 <laughs> minutes? And, and Pablo said to me, I think maybe, John, with your conditioning, you might be able to do that. So he, uh, John Duquesne sent me that 53-pound kettlebell. Remember the, the, the one they used to use all the time? Yeah. And uh, I, I trained with, because I was always juggling Mike, doing all kinds of juggling and flips with the 153-pounder, but never had a light kettlebell. So after like seven or eight times, I actually did 302 reps on that test. But he, but here's here's what I'm here's what I'm going at. Why I was able to do that? I was so used to the ropes going so hard with them moving so fast. It actually felt like I was moving in slow motion, even though I snatched 302 uh, snatches in that 10 minutes. It felt like slow motion compared to the ropes. Yeah. If that makes sense. well, you get a break yeah. too with kettlebell snatches. You get a break at the top. At the top. With, yeah, the, with yeah. the ropes, with the ropes, you have to stay in constant motion. You don't get a break ever. Doing that. Exactly. With yeah. kettlebell swings, you get a break when it's swinging down because that doesn't take any effort. You just go with it, and then oh, yeah. you use that momentum to swing it back up. So that actually helps. The downward swing actually helps the upward swing. But with the ropes, there's yeah. if, you, if you don't keep the pressure on or if you don't keep the momentum going, it's going to dissipate. Well, yeah, they weigh when I met Steve Cotter, he told me too. He 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 watched me how I was snatching the kettlebell, even though I was getting high reps. He said, man, you could do a lot more now because I, I was swinging it like in front of me. You know what I mean? Right, right, yeah. right. He said, yeah. pull, pull it more like you're going to pull a lawnmower, not like you're going to swing it and you know, throw it. <laughs> right, right. And he said, you know, so he, he was kind of amazed how many reps I did doing so badly with the technique. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, kettlebell sport people, they do super high reps over 10 yeah. minute duration of 10 minutes often in, in for competitions. And if you look at the way you look at their technique versus RKC technique, it's night and day. I mean, it's totally different because I came through, I came through the RKC and I thought that's what Russians did with kettlebells because that was the narrative that Pavel had. And then when someone like Valery Fedorenko came into the fold, I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is a lot different. Not only is it a lot different, but here's this guy who has no real muscle development. I mean, his legs are pretty developed, but his upper body doesn't look like anything special. And he's pressing 70-pound kettlebells for 100 reps, and he's doing sets of 20 like it's nothing. And I'm looking at him doing it going, where's all the power coming from? And then it wasn't until I took his course and started applying some of these techniques that I realized it was basically the opposite of what Pavel was teaching in the sense that it's very relaxed, very efficient, no wasted energy whatsoever, no tension. I mean, he's pressing heavy kettlebells. He presses a 120-pound kettlebell 30 times each arm, I want to say, wow. and he's very relaxed the whole time he does it. His the Rep number 30 looks just like rep number one. doesn't look any oh, yeah. different. Wow, yeah. 
and he can talk to you while he's doing it. So he's actually <laughs> coaching you. He actually narrates. He's like all Morgan Freeman, like while he's doing it. Like first, the first time I ever took one of his courses, I'm like, this dude is he really talking to us right now? <laughs> I'm looking at Andrew Dernier, like, dude, why is he talking? Like, <laughs> and why does he not sound like he's out of breath? He's just chilling. He says, if right. you look at me now, you see why he's. I'm like, dude. Seriously, what's going on? I remember when he came to our gym the first time, we had like a 600-pound tractor tire there, and he's never flipped a tire before. <laughs> and so he just gets up again. He's like, okay. And I remember seeing him on a video later doing the same thing with a much yeah. heavier tire. He's just like, all right, just tell me, like, okay, how do you do it? Like, oh, so just put my chest up against it. Okay. And Valeri is like, like I said, physically is no specimen. He's <laughs> he's very slim, and you know, at that time. And these other guys, they're big beasts or whatever, and they're all flipping the tires looking like, yeah. He just walks right up and you just tell him a few techniques and he just flipped that thing right over and those guys are like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and he, yeah. and he looked very relaxed with it where those guys were all tense, like, and growling and all this other stuff. Right. And Valeria's just like, he's talking again. He's like, so I do it like this. I get my hands here, right here. And then he just, boom, he just does it while he's narrating. <laughs> and I'm just looking around like, wow. Like wow, man. And he has a whole, he has, he has, I remember he showed a clip of all these young guys and I want to say, somewhere in Eastern Europe, and these guys are teenagers, yeah. and they were all doing jerks with a 140-pound kettlebell for reps, yeah. and and none of them looked like it was difficult at all for them to right. do. And none of these guys were physical specimens either. Right. <laughs> you, know, you saw them on the street, you wouldn't think anything. Right. Yeah. But that's but that's just like with, with fighting ability, it's a mistake to judge someone's fighting exactly. ability based on their physical appearance. I mean, that's a totally amateur move. And it's also a mistake, though, to judge someone's physical strength based on their physical appearance because right. often they're, just because someone's really strong doesn't mean that their muscles are well-developed because it's it's central nervous system facilitation, it's efficiency, it's having structural integrity. You know, there's so many other factors. Just really big – the connection between really big muscles and strength is not a strong connection, honestly. That's why there's so many big bodybuilders who are not that strong. And, and, and to their credit, they're not trying to be strong. They're trying to be as big as possible. So they're not going to lift heavy weights unless it has some benefit to making their muscles bigger. Why bother? It's more wear and tear. So I'm, so I'm not denigrating well, bodybuilding in any way. But I'm just saying that it's, it's a mistake to look at someone and say, oh, that, I doubt that guy can do this or I doubt she can do that. I mean, you, you really have no idea. Right. Well, years ago, you probably remember Yoko Ahola, which was the world's strongest man for two or three years from Finland. Oh, uh, yeah, right, right. He, he actually came. This was your, him and Phil Fister. Your Fister, of course, is from, from the U.S., but Yoko Ahola came and stayed with me and my, my family for about 10 days. This was years ago. And, you know, long story short, he, he had just won the world's strongest man. And um, so him and then Phil Fister, which got fourth that year, we went down and he wanted to buy a diamond, right, for his girlfriend or his fiancée. But here's where I'm going with that. So we, we walk into this jewelry store and everybody's all over him because they know who he is, you know, and world's strongest <laughs> man. And one of the owners says, looks at me and says, uh, he goes, who is this? You know, and he said who he is. And the owner says about me, he doesn't look like a strong man, does he? You know, and, but you, <laughs> Yoko Holosad just was so cool. He says, I don't know what one looks like. <laughs> you know, so it's not, so it's not what you're saying. They come in all shapes and sizes, you know. <laughs> Well, sometimes it's actually better, like using the fighting analogy again, sometimes it's better to actually look like you know how to fight than it is to actually be able to fight. And what I mean by that is sometimes if you if you look like you know how to fight, most people aren't going to mess with you because you look like you know how to fight. But if you but if you don't look like you know how to fight, but you can fight, the good news is, is that you know how to fight. The bad news is, is that you're probably going to have to use that skill set often. <laughs> you know? At least you have it though. Exactly. You know? It's better, it's better to, 
to not look like I mean it's better to it's 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 better to be able to fight and not look like it than to not look like it and also not be able to fight. Then then, then you're really in trouble. <laughs> but so it's it's the best so the the two situations that are ideal is to look like you know how to fight but you can't, but you never have to use it because you look like you can or be able to fight, but you don't look like you can. But if you get into a fight, you can, and you're going to surprise people because they weren't expecting you to be any good. Like the guy said years ago, he said, don't, don't mess with that guy. He, he, he said he looks awful tough. And right. then the guy says, well, yeah, but you're not fighting his face. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> just, just by the look on his face you know, and his goatee, you know. He said, you're not, you're not going to be fighting his face, you know. Believe me, I worked in a nightclub for a couple of years as a bouncer in college, and it was never the people that you suspected that were the good fighters. I mean, there were some guys in there. I was like, man, look at that guy. He just unloaded ten punches real fast, and they all connected. And then other people look really tough, and they're talking tough with their hands down, and all of a sudden they're out cold on the ground because they're so busy trying to look tough that they didn't have their hands up, which anyone who has any, even the the most one-on-one basics of fighting is if someone's in your face in a confrontational manner, you don't stand there with your hands down and your neck out. (laughs) (laughs) So what's, what's, what does your training regimen look like these days, John? Because like you said, you're in your sixties and you're still ridiculously strong. Sounds like you haven't missed a beat. Yeah. You're not, there's no downward trend at all right now for you. And I think, that's really amazing for a lot of people to hear. So what, what is your routine? Is this, is it something you design for yourself or are you pretty intuitive with your workouts at this point? Well, here's kind of what happened. Once again, I'm 61 years old and I, I, you know, back when I can't remember the last time you saw me, I got as heavy mic as probably 285 maybe. Uh, and at 285, I could go out and run 20 miles. So, you know, and I was very, very strong, but now I got down to about my high school weight. So this very moment, I probably weigh about 218. Uh, yeah. So, oh, I, okay. so I intentionally got down to about 218. So kind of my typical day, um, it varies, but I, I like to do I, I quite a bit of cycling, actually, um, okay. on the bicycle. And I do a, a lot of pretty extensive hiking and some barefoot running. Uh, so cardiovascular, I really enjoy those things. But what I do kind of for my strength, I, I still got like a 30 and a 50-pound sledgehammer. Uh, you, you might remember Torque Athletic. I think they're out of business, but uh, oh yeah, I have some of their sledgehammers. Yeah, yeah I'll go stuff. out with the with the with the thirty, for, and I'll beat it into the tire, you know, for maybe twenty, thirty, forty minutes. Um, I, I do that for a lot of just the strength training, to be quite honest with you. And I do quite a bit yeah. of still, uh, maybe some ground crawling, you know, kind of like a yeah. leopard crawl. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Just kind of a collage of things like that, basically, and uh, and and just quite a bit of mobility stuff. Just trying to keep myself pretty supple and loose. Right, right. I mean, you said that that you you told that whole tire workout as if it's nothing, but I think people need to <laughs> right. to rewind that part and say fifty pound sledgehammer for forty minutes against yeah. a tire. I mean, that's no joke. Doing that for a minute would be well, hell. Doing that for one rep would be difficult for most people. And here's something you'll find interesting because people and now I, I did I think maybe fifteen or sixteen one mile truck pulls. And people always ask, you know, what kind of squatting did you do or deadlifting or powerlifting? Uh, here, here's, here was my training regimen almost every time for those truck pulls. Uh, I, I did two exercises. So my, my buddy would say, hey, let's go out and let's see if we can beat that old record. He'd call me, right? And I'd say, yeah, give me about six weeks. So we'd, we'd set up the truck pull within, you know, six, eight weeks. And so what I do, if you look at the most natural movement God ever gave man, okay? So once you get the most natural movement, 
that, that, that God made man. It, it's not the squat, which a strength coach will tell you that. It, it's, uh, but, but I understand why they say that. The most natural movement is walking and moving forward. Right. So right. that's why I chose the truck pull. So I would go out with maybe as much as a thousand pounds of chains, anywhere from maybe 400 to a thousand pounds of like heavy chain. And I hooked it to the harness out of like this big meadow or grassy area. And, right. I, and I would actually just walk and, and drag those chains forward. That's how I trained for the truck pull. And then my other technique, Mike, which, which you'll find interesting, I, I took the 50-pound sledgehammer and I put a 100-pound weight vest on. So I had a 100-pound weight vest plus the 50-pound hammer, and I would slam it into the tire for you know, 30, 40 minutes or an hour. Yeah, um, that's and those, no those, joke. Those two drills made me much, much stronger, you know, functionally, for lack of a better word. Well, and even... Even yeah, weight vest walking, I, I used to do 100 pound weight vest walks. The, the vest fell apart, so now now I have a 50 pound, and I do that occasionally. But I would go walk three miles with that thing on, and it and it develops a different kind of strength than what you get in the gym. And I'm not saying it's better or worse; it's different. You're developing this structural integrity, as I like to recall it, the ability to work against a resistance for a, a very sustained period of time. Exactly. Well, what do you think about deadlifting with a weight vest on? You think there would be some benefit of doing that besides just a different stimulus? You know, I've, I've never thought about that. It's obviously a very, very simple concept. I've never thought yeah. about that. Uh, I really <laughs> never have. I'm a simple guy. You know, these are the kind of concepts I come up with. <laughs> yeah. I just, what about I, wearing I'm ankle just, weights? No, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I guess the main thing with that, I'm just talking out loud. I'm not, I'm not the greatest expert, but just you, you obviously have to make sure your back was very – structurally sound because of that angle yeah. on this thing. Yeah, it, it doesn't seem like it would be a good idea, honestly, now that I think about it, because why would you want this extra weight on your back on an exercise which is already so lower back intensive? Yeah, yeah, that, that might be the thing. It'd, just be, it'd be almost like, like deadlifting with a 100-pound uh, a neck strap on or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would hey, be Don't go good. out and try that now that I mentioned it, okay? No, no. Glute ham raise, I think a weight vest would be interesting. Because that way you don't have to, a lot of times holding the weight, I do weighted glute ham raises and, you know, once you get, um, once you get to 45 pounds, what are you going to do now? You're going to hold two plates? It gets cumbersome, especially a 45 pound plate. It's really big. But if I had a 50 pound vest on, I bet that would feel way more comfortable. Well, hell, I'm going to actually try that today now that I'm thinking about it. I have a weight vest in my car and I'm going to the gym later. (laughs) I'll make a little clip if it looks good. (laughs) <laughs> it probably worked. I remember when I used to do the crawling mic. Sometimes I would, I would wear like a weight vest crawling. Yeah. But it, it's it's pretty easy if you're not careful. It depends on how your vest is strapped. But it seemed like right. a lot of times I'd end up with that whole hundred pound vest right over the top of my head somehow. You know, <laughs> which was yeah, that's I guess, also true. Yeah. Which was so cool. <laughs> you're doing a glute ham raise, which is basically as you extend out, it's almost like diving into a pool. The last thing you want is that vest yeah. moving. And now it's on your head. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're trying to it take it off. Yeah, I'll just stick to holding a plate. <laughs> yeah. Never injured myself doing that. <laughs> See, this this is this is this is the kind of conversation that's, that's good to have though, because a lot of people just try stuff without thinking it through. They go, "Yeah, I'm going to try putting a vest on and and." deadlifting or I'm going to put a vest on and do glute ham raises and you don't think it through and then you get injured doing something really stupid that was unnecessary. And then you know, the real, or the real cool thing, (laughs) let's let's do, let's do handstands with the vest on. That'll be great. Oh boy. (laughs) That would would be great if it's really snug on you and doesn't move, but that's a lot of it's right there. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, what, so what do you have going on these days, John? Are you have any? You working on any new projects? What are you doing these days? Well, I just, uh, you know, I've always had that website, powerropesbattlingropes.com. I just built a new website. Well, not me personally, but I had someone build a website, johnbrookfield.com. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's actually only been up about a month or two. And uh, oh, okay. I, I wrote I wrote a book, Renew Your Youth God's Way, about two months ago, um, oh. which is it's, it's a biblical book, you know, on, on longevity and taking care of your body. And uh, there's, there's a lot of definitely some gold nuggets in that uh, in that book. About rehabbing your feet and uh, decompressing your spine and uh, diet, yeah. a little bit, of, little bit of everything in there. Where is this available? Is it on Amazon or is yeah, it on you, just you, your you, website? Yeah, you could go right on Amazon. Probably the best way, just Amazon. Just you know, renew your youth God's way. You know, by John Brookfield, it'll uh, it'll pop right up. Or you can also, if you go on my website and try to order, it's going to go to Amazon anyway, Mike. Okay, okay, yeah. So either way, people are going to end up on Amazon. I'll pick that up. That sounds interesting. Yes, that there's 21 really chapters there. I, you know, I really seek God biblically on, uh, basically, you know, teaching people how to, um, renew, renew their health and their physical energy, but also, you know, if you haven't lost it, basically how, how to, how to retain it for long, long periods of time. Yeah. And both are useful. I mean, it's a lot of people who've been fit their whole life and they start losing some of it. You start getting a little, disenchanted or disheartened by that and you want to figure out how to get on course and then there's plenty of people who maybe they've never been in shape or they haven't been in shape since they were in their 20s and they want to try to rekindle some of that you know one thing i will mention mike i do this from time to time i think this will be interesting for your followers you talk about different ways i work out yeah. um one workout that's really really cool and you might actually want to try this with your weight vest that's what made me think about it okay. i do this from time to time and, and and there's no rhyme or reason but basically i might take uh, i don't have any reps i didn't count them but for 20 minutes what i might do i'll i'll sit on the ground and then i'll i'll get up and stand up sit back on the ground and get so i'll keep going standing up and sitting down as many times as i can in 20 minutes yeah, uh, I've actually done that. Like it with, sounds with silly, but it's a, it's a heck of a workout, as you well know. But that, that that might be very very interesting with your weight vest on. That would be really yeah. interesting, and that's a good skill set to maintain because a lot of yeah. people can't do that. And I'm not even talking about people that are seniors. I'm talking about a lot of people oh, yeah. in yeah, their exactly. 40s who can't sit down and get up without really struggling. Yeah, actually, I actually had a buddy of mine. Well, he's he's in his early 30s. He couldn't even do it. I was showing him, and I did it in jeans. And I was basically <laughs> showing him. I, I was showing him. I said, look, do it without using your hands. And he was like, wait, what? So he's talking about all this, these different things that he was learning, Krav Maga class and all this. And I'm like, yeah. I said, but I said, here's the thing. Can you get up and sit down without your hands? Because right. <laughs> I said, all the other stuff that's cute and all and looks good on video, but do this. And so he said, what are you talking about? I said, all right. I said, okay, I got these jeans on right now. So this is going to be very telling. <laughs> so I did it in jeans. And, you know, with boots on. And he was looking like, whoa. And I'm, I'm probably about 15 years old than he is. So he was just sitting there looking like, dude, what, what, what? A, so he tried it. And he's just, he wobbled. He was trying to grab the ground. It's like, he kept feeling like he was going to fall back on the back of his head every time he tried to do it or whatever. I said, I said, this is also a good way to get ready to do Turkish get ups. It shouldn't be the other way around. Yeah. And I see too many yeah. people that actually want to do Turkish get-ups with the kettlebell in their hands, but they haven't even learned this whole technique of just sitting down and getting up without anything in their hands and without their hands. Right. So well, that's one of, and, I, and I teach that for personal defense. I'm like, what happens if you fall down? What happens if you need to like get up from the ground to shoot or whatever else? I said, so this is where we practice this. And it makes sense to them once they realize they can't do it. They're like, okay, I need to, do, I need to really work on this because that's a problem. I'm like, yeah, it really is because you never know. Well, Nate, Nate, Nate Morrison had all these really cool drills where he would be holding a rifle with both hands, yeah. and he would show how he can sit down, how he can change directions, yeah. how he can move laterally. I mean, he was able to move 
just as well as anyone using their hands without his hands, holding a weapon, looking forward the whole time. Yeah. Really interesting. Well, the thing about it is, you know, you think about, you know, even if you're not, even if you're using your hands sincerely or just different ways of getting up, you know, you, you do it three or four times, you don't think anything about it, but, but try that like for 15 or 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. it's, it's a heck of a workout. Oh, yeah. You might even want to have your, I don't drink coffee. You might even have your cup of coffee, you know, all the way to the top and see if you can do it without spilling it. <laughs> oh yeah, you'd be very focused then on your technique. <laughs> with, with very, yeah, a very a very hot cup of coffee. Exactly. More interesting. You know? Let's make this real interesting. It's about as taxing as twenty minutes of anything you'll ever do, though, Mike. Seriously, like that. And, and, well, I mean, if that, and, if, and if that gets easy, just put battery acid in that in a, in a container. <laughs> <then it's, laughs> then you're really incentivized. Like new forms of torture that we're coming up with. It's like, hey man, forget waterboarding. Have you ever did like? Body get us with hot coffee in your hand or battery <laughs> acid in your hand. <laughs> I remember that old uh, club bell, you know, that real heavy club bell. I think Scott, not Scott yeah, Sonnen had years ago. Yeah. Uh, he sent me one. I had an 80 pound and then like a 45 and I would take the 45. You know, I'd have it up in my hand, right? You know, just my right hand. And I put a glass of water on top of the, you know, just on top of the club bell. And I would <laughs> toss it kind of straight over to my left hand, back and forth, my right and left. Wow. Uh, try you know with enough control to keep from trying to spill the water. That's really cool. I have one of those forty-five pound clubs still. I mean, that thing's no joke. Oh yeah, yeah. There was a, he made me an eighty pounder, and I think uh, I remember that. Yeah, I gave it away to somebody. I don't know who has it now, but <laughs> <laughs> that, that's how much you used it. You know, I, I probably played around with it one time. Like, yeah, this is pretty cool. It's like, oh, you want this? Cool. Yeah, here, take it. Take it. No, please take it. Take it. <laughs> I think my wife actually gave it away, not me. You know, get, let's get it out of the house. You know, <laughs> the clubbells are cool. I actually like the twenty-five pounders because I can do a lot of those shoulder rotation drills. I can do the swipes, and I can get a nice little workout in a, an active recovery workout. I haven't used them in a while, though. I need to get those back in my routines. I always liked using them. It's not something that I think that you could build a whole training system around and only use that, but it's a good supplementary tool. One thing I used to like to do, Mike, is take like a you know fairly heavy kettlebell. I think the one I used to use most of the time might have been an eighty, kind of an oddball, I mean eighty, eighty-two, and I would I would kind of do the mace swing with it. You know, I, I had like a oh, yeah, rope. Sure. I hooked the oh, rope. Okay. Okay. Swung it around my body a bunch of times. <laughs> make sure you don't get hit by that. <laughs> <laughs> That's another incentivized one. You have to make sure the momentum stays on because <laughs> last thing you want is that swinging into you. Right. It's an, it's an acquired taste, if you know what I mean. You know, it's the, oh, yeah, I bet it. <laughs> yeah, I'm a simple guy when it comes to training. I pick up stuff off the floor. I push <laughs> it overhead. You know, I pull things to me. I pull myself to a bar. You know, I like to keep it real simple. <laughs> I'm not the most athletic guy where I need all this complexity to keep it exciting for me. Just the basics is enough to keep me engaged. Well, I had a friend that was very, very strong, and I, I was kind of. I said, why, "Why did you quit lifting weights?" And he, he was kind of kidding, but serious. I said, "He said, I said, did the weights get too heavy?" He said, "No, John, the weights weren't too heavy. I just had to bend over to pick them up." <laughs> that, that was that was the drawback to it. Yeah. yeah, I sometimes feel that way when I'm deadlifting. I'm like, "Why am I even doing this?" But most most of the time, I enjoy it. Most of the time, I really like it. But it, it it can be hard on your body, even when, like you said about these these Russian athletes, even when you do everything right, it can still be really hard on your body, and that's the other point people need to make. They that that that's a really important point that many people fail to grasp because they think that well, my technique is great. I'm using a belt. I'm using all these other things. I'll be able to sustain this indefinitely. But there's always a tipping point where you get way less return 
than right. you would like, and the the negatives start becoming more pronounced. Yeah, and like, and like I said, once again, you know, just looking back on, I'm thinking about probably 15 of these people, you know, that are here again. They were medalists and from Russia or Olympic lifters, uh, really high grade lifters, and every one of them. You know, wait well before their day, basically, that, you know, their yeah. hips and their shoulders were pretty much ruined. And yeah. here again, talking about people with perfect technique, not people with bad technique. Right. 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 Now, I, I don't think I lived anywhere near enough to worry about, you know, getting the injuries <laughs> they got. I'm not going to, I don't, I'm not delusional. I'm not, I don't have delusions of grandeur, you know, and I'm not a competitive power lifter and I'm not someone who's addicted to one rep maxes or anything like that. But it's, it's, it's good to be cognizant of, what do you? How far do you want to take this? What price are you willing to pay to get there? And what can you do to mitigate any negatives, if not just squash any negatives? Because there's there's always things you can do. If you do more mobility work, I get a massage once a week. I really take charge of restoration. I don't mess around with restoration. I sleep really well every night. So I eat a good diet, take all the right supplements, etc. So I think if you're going to train really hard, the other half of that equation is you have to make sure your restoration program is on point. Exactly. And, and I, I got a lot of stuff in my book about that, you know, about sleep and, you know, just uh, very, very much just how to, how to create longevity and just, uh, you know, just basically sustain it over time. And also the pitfalls about, you know, what 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 takes our longevity away quite often. Right. Um, right. You know, in training, too, people, I've never one time, uh, guys, uh, I've never done these one rep maxes like most people do. Yeah. I don't think I, I might be wrong. I don't think I've ever tried to lift a weight I couldn't lift. So right. And right. what I mean by that, I'm not saying I'm over. <laughs> no, I know strong, what you mean. <laughs> I, I just yeah. never tried to push myself. I always try to do things where I could sustain over time. Well, I think that's a good philosophy is never lift a weight that you don't know you can lift. Yeah, there's a T-shirt you should, for you, you right know. there. Yeah, you should know going into it. You know, when I did lift to sixth place, there wasn't any doubt in my mind that I was going to get that lift. It wasn't something where I'm going, ah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. And, you know, last week I was – I was, I was about 50 pounds off of this. You know, I worked up to it incrementally. So when I got to that point, I go, okay, I know I can do this because I, I, I almost did this much a couple of weeks ago. So I, this is only 10 pounds more than that. Yeah. And I felt fine doing that. So it's, so I, 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 I pretty much never miss lifts. I mean, I can't even remember the last time I missed a lift. It's probably years ago because you should know whether you can do it or not. That's why you should know from your warm up sets. Right. whether it's going to go or not. Let's say you're going to go for six plates and five plates feels heavy. Good chance six plates is not going to go. You know, so save it for <laughs> another day. Everything should feel light during your warm-up. You buy 405, boom, ripped it off the ground. 500, ripped it off the ground. 550, ripped it off the ground. No doubt now going into 585, 600, what it's, what's going to happen. If any of those warm-up sets feel heavy, though, why are you still going? Why are you still going? And chances are, if the 500 didn't go, the 750 is probably not going to go either, right? <laughs> yeah, well, that's the other thing that cracks me up is when someone misses a left and then they put more on. So basically, that's my body saying it doesn't want 500 today. It really wants 750. So I need to listen to my body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. exactly. The body's going like, nah, we're, we're better than this 500. Yeah, you need more. How dare you? More to be motivated to do it. You're not, you're not motivated with this lightweight. That's the problem. It's like when some <laughs> Teenager asked me to spot him on the bench press. I go, I'm, I, I, the first question I always ask is, are you actually going to lift this or am I going to be doing a bent over row? <laughs> because I'm not going to, you want me to spot you, that means if you try to lift it and you don't get it, I'm going to help you get it to the top and rack it. We're not going to do forced reps after that. 
Right. So, and you should have no – I'm just here for safety. You should know whether you can lift this weight or not. So don't get pinned with it. And now i got to bend over, bend over, row it off your chest and all that jazz. You know, I haven't thought about this in 20 years, but long, gosh, this goes way back. I saw a guy – I mean, he, he was a very, very strong guy, probably college age, uh, very, very strong. I don't know what he was thinking. He was doing some lifts, and he actually – he was doing bench press. And all of a sudden, I, I realized just when he started to lift, I wasn't spotting him. He had 345s on one side and 245s on the other side. <laughs> yeah, he really paid attention. <laughs> yeah, the, it, it didn't, the lift didn't go well for him. Let me put it that way. Yeah, yeah. It would have been funny if it did go well for him. He just manages to calibrate and handle that. Nah, I always double check. Even on my warm-up sets, I double check, make sure I have the right weights on each side. <laughs> it's like some people order product from me and they have the wrong address. And then they'll go, why'd you send it to that address? And I go, that's the address you put down. <laughs> like, well, I didn't mean to put it down. I was like, well, well I, don't I, don't give, I don't give a damn what you meant to do. You know, they're, they're still not trying to take responsibility for us. Like, look, we sent it to the address that you put down on the form. It wasn't an error on our part. It was an error on your part. You didn't double check the address. You push send. You didn't really, and now you re, now it went somewhere you didn't want it to go. And sometimes they're like, yeah, can you send me a replacement order while I try to figure this out? Like, no, you can buy your no. order. <laughs> like, don't you, don't you know where you used to live? Well, go back over there and pick up your product. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this sounds like yeah, it's not too far from you, so why don't you drive over there and get it? <laughs> See, I, I could have caught this guy and said, hey, you need to put another weight on the, on the other side. You know, you're off, you're off sides. But maybe he would have put, uh, he would have put one where the three were instead of one where the two was. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that this guy was, <laughs> was imbalanced and he didn't say anything. Is that what it is? <laughs> Sean's like, oh, this would be good. He's like, let me pull out my phone and record this. This is going to be great for you, too. I, 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 I really didn't have enough time, to be honest with you. It happened so fast. All of a sudden, I realized, hey, this guy's got three forty fives on, on one side and two on the other. I'll be honest. I've made that mistake before with deadlifts, but not that severe. Yeah. Like, maybe I had a 10 on one side and I didn't have it on the other side. And I'm like, wait a minute. What happened there? It, it felt off when I pulled it. But I've never had an extra plate, like five plates on one side and four on the other side, or three on one side and five on the other side. I mean, come on. Well, if, you, if you have one, if you have one arm that's stronger than the other, Mike, that might be a good way to. Yeah, train. it might work out for you. Yeah, <laughs> good, yeah, exactly. I mean, this might be a way for me to address some imbalances here. <laughs> Strengthen up that weaker side. You know, put more on the weaker side, less on the stronger side. <laughs> Well, John, this has been awesome, man. Thank you so much for all the time. Great information. And again, what's the name of your book? It's Renew Your Youth God's Way. Renew Your Youth God's Way. You can get it on Amazon. You can go to johnbrookfield.com, stay abreast everything he's doing. Are you teaching any courses these days, John, or are you more? Well, you know, I was, I've got, I've got an online battling ropes course through Nesta. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. I've had that for years through Nesta. Uh, I, I have people come to the house. Some I'm not doing any live courses right now. Basically, I, I kind of got away from them. And then with the, with the virus thing going on, right. but uh, I, I did I did develop a barrel system system training a while back. Uh, it's pretty phenomenal. I think you guys would particularly <clears> like. But I haven't really been able to get it out because you know people's not traveling right now. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's the problem with any workshops or live courses right now. It's going to be a while before those can be kicked into full gear again anytime soon. So right now, just plugging along, you know, just staying healthy and uh, trying to learn as much as I can and uh, about my body. And uh, um, like I said, the, the, the feet's crucial. Though. I'll say that one more time. People just don't realize just how important the feet are. Right. Yeah. Right. 
And you can start just by walking barefoot as much as possible. I mean, when I'm in the house, I never have shoes on or socks on. I'm always walking around well, barefoot. And something, just real quick, this is very, very interesting. People don't think about it. So let's say you have a lot of people, you know, barefoot trainers. Let's say they're on the mat or they're, you know, or they're lifting weights, right? But now if, if they go out and try to run or hike barefooted, it's completely different because now oh. their foot is, is yeah. rolling off their toes where basically they're not on in, in the ground. So kind of, kind of two different, completely different styles. Um, yeah, no, yeah. that's true. That's true. And yeah. feet are, and feet need to be toughened. I mean, in India, everybody walks around barefoot. You're walking around on gravel. You're walking around on, you know, things that people would be like, Oh, I'm going to step on a splinter here. <laughs> things like that. <laughs> right. No one's going to go hiking. Bare, no one's going to go to Red Rock. I'm like, Hey, we're going to go to Red Rock and go hiking. They're going to put their, their hiking boots on. I'm like, no, 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 let's do it barefoot. People are like, no way. I'm not doing that. Are you kidding me? I'm going to step on a scorpion or I'm going to step on a rock. <laughs> you know? Right. So, so people have really weak feet is the other thing is where I'm going is that your, your feet can be a lot tougher in oh, addition yeah. to all the appropriate receptors you're talking about and all the other benefits. It took me, Mike, it probably took me a good two years to completely, and, and I still haven't completely done it, a good two years to completely rehab my feet for strength. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's, I mean, it, it's, it's well worth it, but it, it just it yeah. takes a while. And, and, and you're a, and you're a high yeah. level guy. So if it took yeah. you two years, it's probably going to take others a lot longer. Than that. <laughs> right. You know? But it's, but it's worth doing. I oh, mean, absolutely. You, absolutely. You definitely. Yeah. You, that's definitely, you know, I actually go sprinting with those Vibrams on. I mean, I haven't gone sprinting in a while because it's so hot out here, but when I did go sprinting, I always wore Vibrams and I actually preferred them. They actually felt really good than extra shoe. Whenever I was running with regular shoes, I always felt disconnected. With the Vibrams, it took a little while to get used to it, but after a while, I preferred it. And exactly. I, could, I could probably wear those in the gym, too. You know what's interesting, though, is that I, I like barefoot for some things, but when it comes to, like I said, when it comes to kettlebell snatches, I like shoes. When it comes to overhead presses, I prefer barefoot. When it comes to deadlifts, I actually like shoes, although I can I can deadlift barefoot, too. But I like what you're talking. I mean, you're talking about a totally different style of barefoot training. Like I, I never thought about hiking or even just walking around outside the house barefoot. <laughs> so that's something I'm going to have to. Well, if you're in the, if you're in the inner city, that could be a, a little bit dangerous because you're yeah, yeah, walking yeah. on out you're there. You're walking on glass, glass syringes. You don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm walking out on basically. You're in the country. It's, you know, it's kind of dirt and sand. Yeah, exactly. Woods, right, so. right. Yeah. You have to be sensible about how you apply this. If you live in Brooklyn, you don't want to walk around the block exactly. barefoot. <laughs> and I, I don't like I don't like I don't like to do a lot of barefoot training on like on concrete myself. I mean that that bone spur I have doesn't bother me, but I don't like the Press it either. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I don't. I wouldn't want to be working in my garage for five hours completely barefoot, but I could be working in the yard for five hours. It feels great. Well, that concrete's right. not. It's not giving you anything. It's not yeah, moving it's not. with you. Whereas, like with that grass and the, and the dirt, it's, yeah. it's, it's it's adjusting with you. That concrete is no give. And that's well, I mean, there's, why there's, there's no there's no conduction from uh, from right. concrete. Right. So you're not getting anything. You're not getting the energy because there's this whole system of what what do they call that grounding, grounding. grounding. or, or grounding. grounding. Yeah, grounding, earthing, that's it's yeah. always recommended to do on grass or actual earth, not on concrete. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, so and you know like I said in in your big toe, they say I'm not sure who they is, but uh <laughs> your, your, your your big toe is like they 80 to 85% of, of yeah, there yeah. you go. 80 to 85% of your balance. Right. Uh, right. So that so that's why you want, most people's big toe is kind of jammed into the other part or kind of crooked. That's why right. those correct those correct toes will actually over time will actually place your toes like you want them. Right. 
Well, now I'm looking at my feet. Going, <laughs> it's funny. I'm doing the same thing. I'm sitting there. I'm over here. Like, I don't know. It's something about John. I'm sitting there, like, squeezing the captain's crush, and I'm looking at my big toe right now. <laughs> so this is why it's good to not do video podcasts right now. Cause I, I, see, I, I, made, I made you look, didn't I? I made you look. I, oh, I'm definitely looking. I'm like, hey, wait a minute. I'm looking I'm like, hey, yeah. I'm looking like, hey, I'm good. It's pretty straight there. Hey, well, what's, what, what's interesting, though, seriously, not, not, not the babble, but, like, if you look at, if you look at, like, your own feet, but let, let's say, for example, example, my, my left foot, my toes are spread wider than on my right foot. You know what I mean? And it's my it's my right foot that doesn't balance as good as my left foot, and that's probably a lot of the reason because I don't, I don't have as good as base or rooting there on my right foot as I do my left. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a lot to unpack with all of this foot stuff, no doubt about it. And it's right. not like this is the first time I've ever heard about it. Nick Curzon talks a lot about it too, but you're coming at it a different way than he does. And it's, I'm not saying better or worse. It's interesting. I think both of you have. Yeah, really we good just content. talked. Yeah, we just talked about it last week with Dr. Thomas Inkledon. Right. You know, right. we touched on this too. So yeah, it's, yeah, become, right. it's becoming a thing, a theme now with this show. I, I actually, since I, I actually sleep a lot of times with these correct toes on my on my toes when I sleep. Yeah, um, and they're they're like a they're like braces. I mean, you can obviously take them off; they're not uncomfortable. But they, I, I'll sleep with them and 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 have them on a lot during the day because they spread my toes out. But what you'll find over time, see, when when you take them off, a lot of your toes will still stay spread a little bit. Yeah, and and just a little bit of spreading with your toes is huge, huge, huge. Yeah, I see a lot of these like yoga practitioners, whatever, they can just spread their toes like it's nothing. You know, my wife does the same thing. I was like, I call them yoga toes because it seems like almost everyone in that community, they can just sit there and spread their toes out like, like fingers, like hand, like their hand. Right. Yeah. And, and so I'm like, okay, I, I got to work on that. That's, that's like a thing. I don't know exactly what, what kind of benefit I'm going to get from it, but I'm just like, I want to spread my toes out like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want to have the little monkey toes too, man. Like, come on. So tonight so. you guys will probably be both going out with the rulers and probably – your right toes, right? Trying to see our progress. Like, all right, yep, two millimeters this week. All right, man, it's working now. <laughs> hey, man, you got to always log your stuff, man. That's the only way you know you got progress. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start taking foot selfies to post on Instagram. Let it be hey. like these foot videos where I, <laughs> hey, this could be a whole new revenue stream for me. I'm about to say, well, you can sell those on OnlyFans and make some extra revenue right there, man, because that, that's a thing. <laughs> there are websites where that is a thing now. Well, hey, look, Mike, Nick, if, you, if, you, if you remember, give me royalties if you create exactly. that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the baby rocking chair. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, may, it may go against some of your religious principles. It's not funny, so I don't know. I don't know if I could pass that on to you. You don't know what kind of people here are sending the money in. <laughs> I have to donate it to charity 100% to to reduce any karmic repercussions. <laughs> well, Dr. Nick Delgado likes to train naked in his backyard, and I'm sure he films that for his VIP clients. So, hey, I can do that. I can film my feet. I'm just hoping, I'm just hoping he has a high fence, man. <laughs> Not high enough that Dr. Gordon can't get over. But that's another story. I don't think it's HOA approved, man. <laughs> Well, hey, John, this has been awesome. We really yeah. appreciate it. And yeah. keep up the great work, man. You're inspirational. It's always great talking to you. Well, hey, guys, I greatly appreciate it. You guys have a great day, and we'll, we'll stay in touch, okay? All right, man. Yeah, Thank you. Have Thank a good John. day. Thank Thanks you. again now. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, bye. That wraps up this week's Live Life Aggressively show. Be sure to head over to MikeMahler.com and NewWarriorTraining.com. 
Use the coupon code LLA12 and receive 12% off of your total purchase at either of those websites. Also, for more personal protection tips, make sure you head over to NewWarriorDefense.com. Support the production of the Live Life Aggressive Show by heading over to Patreon.com and becoming a patron. Simply go to Patreon.com slash LLA Podcast. All Patreon subscribers receive Patreon-only access to our brand new show, Afterlife, which is a brand new behind-the-scenes episode that is not available to the public. Our Patreon subscribers also get to enjoy bigger discounts on all of our products by receiving Patreon-only discount codes beginning at 15% off on all products on MikeMahler.com and NewWarriorTraining.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Lastly, be sure to share the episode by following us on social media on Facebook as well as our new account on Instagram. Until the next episode, take care everybody.